We're going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11 is where we find ourselves this morning. Last time we saw the Lord preserve the line of David on the throne of Judah, and it was miraculous how the Lord did that. As you recall, Ahaziah was the king of Judah, and he had died, and his mother, Athaliah, decided to destroy all of her grandchildren so that she could rule the kingdom of Judah herself. Not really the type of grandmother that you want to have. <laughs> yeah. She thought that she had killed all the heirs to the throne, but what she didn't know was that one of Ahaziah's sons secretly had been kept alive. And after hiding the boy and waiting for six years, Jehoiada, the high priest, he revealed this son, this hidden son, to the people in the house of God, and he anointed him as king. And this son's name was Jehoash. Well, the people rejoiced, you know, over the new king. But when Athaliah found out, uh, she tried to stop his coronation. Uh, that's when Jehoiada ordered her to be taken out of the temple and be killed outside. And that's where we stopped last time. So we're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 11. If you want to look down to verse 17 is where we, we got to. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and people. So Jehoiada, he's making two very important covenants here. He's the high priest. I think we mentioned last time his wife is the one who actually rescued the child when it was a, he was a baby. And uh, he's, he's now the high priest, and he's been in charge here. The Lord has been keep, keeping him alive for quite some time, we find later on in, in Chronicles. So he's, he's here for a very specific purpose, and he's got such a heart for the Lord. He's a good guy to keep an eye on. But he's going to make these two very important covenants. The first covenant was for the nation to return to their original calling to be the Lord's people. Uh, the Lord, the nation itself had agreed to this when the Lord brought them into the promised land, but over time they had drifted away and they had followed pagan gods. So they were into idolatry. They had forsaken the Lord who had brought them to the promised land. So this was a, an important covenant for the people and the, the king himself to be in agreement with the Lord. And you know, as New Testament believers, we've been called into the promised land too. Do you remember what the promised land represents for us? You know, it's a spirit-filled life, right? The life of complete surrender to the Lord. And it's possible that we can drift away from that calling too. So being at the brink here of starting a new year, it's not a, time, a bad time for us to repent and admit that we maybe have drifted some. You know, and maybe we need to have a fresh surrender to the Lord. And if that's the case, then please take time to speak to the Lord about that. Uh, it's always a great thing to start the new year with a time of refreshing with the Lord. You know, it's a good, good opportunity for us to stop and examine spiritually. Do we really, are we really where we want to be? <clears throat> Excuse me. The second covenant that Jehida made here was between the king and the people. So this covenant was saying that if the king will rule them according to God's law, then the people will support it. So this called for a commitment from the king and a commitment from the people. So it's basically saying to the king, you know, that 
if you'll lead us in God's way, then we'll follow you. And the king was basically agreeing to lead them in God's way. So that's cool. That's an awesome place to be. You know, the Lord, we just say, Lord, bless Jehoiada for his testimony, his calling on the king and the people to follow the Lord. And uh, it was a strong calling he put out there. He didn't really leave him much room to squeak around that one. It's like, you're going to make a covenant now with the Lord. And this is the way it's going to be. A good guy, a really good guy. So, you know, we here, the fellowship you hear that we pray for Christians in our military and in areas of leadership in our nation. And our prayer is that they would speak up and they would call out to the leaders around them that they would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our, our prayer. We know that can make a huge difference, just like Jehoiada here has made such a difference in this story. So if that happened in our nation, that would be the best place to be that we could, we could possibly get to. And we'd love to see that. So keep praying, keep praying for uh, Christians that the Lord has scattered in these places where they're close to leadership. And uh, they have opportunity to raise up the name of Jesus and, and call on folks to get there. So let's go on to verse 18. <clears throat> it says, And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. And by the way, I, I use the term Baal, I guess as kind of a Midwestern bad slang to say Baal. It's actually Baal, but uh, I feel funny saying that. So if you hear me say Baal, I'm not talking about any hay or anything like that. I'm really talking about this false god here. So all the people of the land, they went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. So it's really cool that they, they've made this covenant with the Lord and the very next thing they do is go tear down this place that's been put there. And Athaliah is the one that actually introduced them to the worship of Baal. You know, she had that in her background from her mom, the evil Queen Jezebel, and she carried this with her. So now the people are probably pretty frustrated with this They've gotten to see the face of the devil here, and it's like, we don't like this. So they, they immediately go and destroy that place. And like somebody said, they didn't put a, a put up a for sale sign and try to sell it for profit, this, this temple here. They tore it down, okay? And the Lord tells us when it comes to sin in our life, we cannot play games with it either. We have to destroy it or it will destroy us. So take a look at Romans chapter 8. This is a, a good time of reflection for us here to take in some of these things. Romans chapter 8, if you look down to verse 13, it's where the Lord calls us in the New Testament to uh, be free in worshiping him, get rid of the junk in our life here. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's very interesting here uh, when it says put to death the deeds of the body, it literally means to be made dead in relation to those evil deeds. So allowing yourself to be dead toward them. Like somebody said one time, you know, when you walk by a coffin, you, there's no sense in talking to the person that's there because they're not going to respond to you. They're, they're dead. That's it. There's no response. They are going to go, you can't tempt them with a burger or nothing. I mean, it's over. And we're supposed to be dead to those evil deeds in our life, too. That's what this is telling us. And it's interesting that this is not a one-time thing either. Man, we wish it were. We just say, Lord, I'm done with this. Boom, close the door. It's over. This is actually, this command is actually written in the present tense, which means a continuous action. So that means that we have to put those things to death every time they try to come back to life in our body there. So 
uh, when we have those desires that keep trying to rise up, we have to continually put them to death. That's our calling from the Lord. So make the decision to put those things to death by the power of the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. And then continue to fight that battle. Don't ever give up, you know. Uh, back in our passage in 2 Kings 11, verse 18, it says, All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and its images, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. <clears throat> Excuse me. They not only destroyed the temple, but they also destroyed anything that would cause them to be led back into that sin. You know, the altars and the images... They were things that they had bowed down to, things that they had surrendered themselves to. So for us, anything that would lead us back into sin, any trigger that would cause us to go back in that direction, it has to be destroyed. has to be. For some of us, it may be the thought life. If we're not careful, our thoughts may drift off into areas of sin that we've been involved in. And those thoughts have to be taken captive and they have to be destroyed. We do that by confession. We do that by asking the Lord to replace them with thoughts about him, and he'll do that. You know, so we have to guard our hearts and our minds because our enemy is sneaky. <laughs> he will continually try to slip things back in, and before you know it, he's got you thinking in the wrong direction. So the Lord tells us, take our thoughts captive. He calls us to do that, right? Have them submit to Christ. Now, when they killed the priests of Baal here, they were justified in their actions. <coughs> Excuse me, the law of Moses... He called for the death penalty for anyone who would lead the people to worship any other God than the true God of Israel. You know, I know that we've studied these things in the past, but I want us to be reminded how serious this is to the Lord. If you want to look back to Exodus 22, we're going to look at a few passages here where the Lord made it very, very clear about his thoughts on allowing them to worship any other God than him. So Exodus 22 is where we're headed. I'm going to look down to verse 20 when you get there, if I've got my verse markings right here. Exodus 22 and down to verse 20. It says, He who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, and that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the Lord God of Israel, any, he who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Okay, look over in the book of Deuteronomy. There's a couple passages here you want to see as well. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, if you look down to verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is indeed true and certain, that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Pretty serious, right? Look at Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, 
Go back a few chapters in Deuteronomy 13. Look down to verse 6. If your brother, and this whole passage, by the way, is talking about dealing with people and leading others to, away from the Lord. But this is kind of the, the hard issue here in verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul. These are talking about the people that are closest to you, that mean the most to you. Say so if they secretly entice you saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. That pretty well covers any false god, right? You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You, you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. It's not over yet. Look at verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying corrupt men have gone out from among you, enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand. And notice the reason for all of this, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers. So it wasn't just a good idea for them to destroy the temple of Baal and the images and the altar, but it was extremely necessary because they had kindled the wrath of the Lord by participating in those things. You know, I think our wishy-washy society here that pushes tolerance so much, we tend to forget about the wrath of God that God has against sin. So these reminders, I think, are necessary at times. And, you know, I, I kind of apologize, you know, if I you think I bring these things up too often, but, you know, there are people that you and I are going to run into who have believed a lie. They may say something to you like, well, it really doesn't matter as long as you believe in something. God's okay with that, right? And I want us to be ready to speak the truth in love and say God is not okay with that. You must put your faith in Christ alone or you will face the wrath of God for all eternity. Yeah, so it's not being harsh, telling people that. It's speaking the only truth that can rescue them from God's wrath. 
You know, if we really love people, we need to tell them the truth. And I say that because as a young believer, it still bothers me that I had opportunity. Someone said that very thing to me. As long as you believe in something, it's okay. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were in the hospital on their deathbed when they asked me that. And as a young believer, I did not have the boldness to tell them it's not okay. And boy, that disturbs me to this day. So I want us to have this firmly in our heart that God's wrath is nothing to mess with. You know, someone dares to say, is it okay for me to go to Islam? No, it is not okay. Is it okay if I just, you know, kind of tip my hat towards the Lord once in a while and say thanks for stuff? No, it's not okay. You've got to come before Christ. You need to receive Christ. Otherwise, the wrath of God's waiting for you. You haven't gotten rid of it. it it's still on you. It's what the Bible says. Let's go back to our passage, 2 Kings 11. We're still in verse 18. There's a wealth right in this verse here. It says, The people of the land went to the temple of Baal. They tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars, its images. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. So they destroyed the evil and they strengthened the good. Now, that's a great plan for turning your life back to the Lord. It's not good enough just to get the evil out of your life. You also need to exalt the Lord in your life. That means spend more time with him, more time in his word, and that'll strengthen the goodness of the Lord in your life, and that'll strengthen you spiritually, just like Rich encouraged us this morning. New Year, chance to get back in the scripture and read the Bible. Make it a commitment this year to stay in the word. You know, we saw the same principle here in the life of Jehu, the king of northern Israel, back in chapter 10. He rid the evil of Baal from the northern kingdom and the land there, but he didn't strengthen his own walk with the Lord. And it ended up disastrous. I want us to look back a second at that again. I know it hasn't been that long ago. Chapter 10, just a couple of verses here. In 2 Kings chapter 10 and down to verse 28. But boy, these are sobering verses. Uh, verse 28, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in doing what is right, you've done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, you're Sons are going to sit on the throne to the fourth generation. But verse 31, boy, that's a, that's a tough one. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. He removed the evil from the land, but he had no desire to walk close with the Lord. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. Man, this Lord, the Lord has brought this principle up a couple of times in our studies here recently. And I tell you, it's a great plan for getting right with the Lord and get back where you should be, but it's nothing to overlook either, right? I mean, you can't just rid yourself of evil. You need to build yourself up in the things of the Lord. Our, the, the enemy's coming back, you know. Verse 19, in our passage again in 2 Kings 11, verse 19 goes on. Then he, this is the, the high priest, he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord. Remember, they're still there. He's just been anointed king. And they went by way of the gate of escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So here's Jehoiada making sure 
that this young king was completely surrounded and protected as he guided him to the throne of the kings here. And he's the rightful heir to be seated on that throne. Being only seven years old, he was the youngest king that ever sat on the throne of Judah, the southern kingdom. So this was a miraculous moment where the Lord kept his promise to always have the line of David on the throne. This is an extremely important moment. I know we read it, it's just kind of a short statement here in the scripture, but wow, this is, this is huge for Israel, huge for God's promises. Verse 20 goes on. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. For they had slain Athaliah with a sword in the king's house. You know, it's so awesome to see the people rejoicing at the work of the Lord. And that quiet that settled over the city, it was because the evil influence of Athaliah had been brought to an end. You know, wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> if the only sound you heard in the city was the sound of people rejoicing over the Lord? Wouldn't that be something rather than the sound of police sirens and ambulance sirens, you know, go on as they pick up the pieces that are left after crimes have happened? You know, that's why I enjoy the opportunity to have our praise band on the float during the Shriners Parade. We got a chance to drive down the main street of Belleville just praising the Lord. You know, that was so cool. And I pray the Lord allows us to get back to that as he sees fit, you know. And someone pointed out here that these people that had just gotten rid of this evil and now they're raising it up the Lord, they're, they're actually experiencing Proverbs 11.10. Let me read that to you. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. Man, if it's the wicked that's been oppressing you, wow, it's a nice breath of fresh air. I didn't get off from under that. So verse 21, the chapter ends with Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. And when that's a good reminder again, the Lord preserved the line of David through this seven-year-old king. Wow, that's amazing. Now, kind of a side note here, because we're going to go a little further, Lord willing. We'll notice in different places where Jehoash, you see him called here, he's also called Joash. And the reason for that is it's just a shortening of the name. You know, kind of like somebody saying Dave instead of David. And we're used to that. So if you run into that in your reading, don't be confused or think they're talking about a different guy. He's the same guy. Okay, just a different way of, of saying his name. So going on in chapter 12, verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, uh, he's the king of the northern kingdom, Joash here became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. So he was the king of the southern kingdom, 40-year reign. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. <clears throat> so Jehu here, he was the, the king over the northern kingdom, and this is just given to us kind of like a time marker so we can actually see when Joash became king. But we're told here 40 years he reigned in Jerusalem. That's a long time. You could do a lot for the Lord with that amount of time. This guy, unfortunately, didn't do all that, but he had a chance to, okay? Verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. So there's a time limit here on this, if you catch it. <clears throat> he did great with the Lord as long as the priest was there. <laughs> so there's a few lessons we get from that. One it has to do with influences, okay? Influences are powerful. So 
We need to make sure that the influences we allow in our life are very godly influences. Don't settle for anything less. You know, we should be amazed at the powerful influence here that Jehoiada the priest had on Joash. As long as he was there with him, he made sure that Joash stayed on the straight and narrow. Unfortunately, after he died, Joash started listening to other counselors who didn't have the priority in their life of serving the Lord. And these guys influenced Joash to go back to the worldly ways, and they got him into idolatry. So Joash's life, it's often broken down into two parts to describe him. The first part was under the influence of Jehoiada the priest. And Joash, during that time, he had a shining testimony for the Lord. But the second part of his life was under bad influences. And it brought him under the judgment of the Lord, which we'll see he had a pretty sad ending to his life. <clears throat> so be careful about the influences in your life. They can have a very good effect or a very bad effect on you. So I'd, again, I said, shoot for high marks here. Get the most godly people for influences in your life. Another lesson we get from this has to do with our personal relationship with the Lord. Joash, he either didn't have a relationship with the Lord or he didn't have a strong relationship with the Lord himself. He had to rely on others to keep him close to the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with a healthy fellowship with other believers, but the Lord's training us during that time in fellowship about how to walk close to him ourselves. You know, we're supposed to be learning that as we hang out with these godly people. So listen here, as New Testament believers, each of us can learn to have a strong walk with the Lord. We, we don't use an excuse and say, well, you know, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm kind of shy or quiet or I'm just a nobody or something. No, I say that each of us can have a strong, healthy walk because as believers in the New Testament, we have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. So if we need to lean on somebody to help us with our walk with the Lord, you won't find anyone greater than the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, look at 1 John at the end of the New Testament, or 1 John uh, chapter 2. I think this will hopefully really bring this verse to light here for us. 1 John chapter 2. In <clears throat> verse 27, 1 John 2, 27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just that as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So it's telling us here, the Holy Spirit is the best you can get to keep you on track with the Lord. We just have to listen to him, pay attention to him, and receive his instruction. I love that last statement. He says, the Holy Spirit taught you this. He doesn't lie. He's the best counselor you'll get here. It says, you will abide in him. Guess what the Holy Spirit taught us? You're going to abide in Christ. Why? Because you're such a great person? You might be a good person, but you're not that good. You're going to abide in Christ because the Holy Spirit's in there, and he's going to keep you abiding in Christ. You're born again. You have new life from God, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's a great thing to meditate on just by itself. But that has to do with our personal walk with the Lord. We need to have a strong walk. You know, praise God for the fellowship. I love our fellowship. We can, I got guys here I can call, and they'll pray for me in a heartbeat. 
And some of them even rebuked me in a heartbeat. It was good. That's, that's good. That's a good thing, right? But yeah, we need that fellowship of men. You need to be able to stand for the Lord yourself and continue the walk if someone is gone. Somebody said one time, it's so sad when they see a pastor, you know, that's either left a place or he's fallen or something, and people get so damaged by that, they leave the church and they don't. It's like, was your faith built on that guy? Shouldn't have been. Should have built on Christ. Christ's never going to fail you. He's never going to leave. He's not going to a different church. He loves you. He's staying in you, right? Yeah. Another lesson we can get here is, what could Joash have done when he lost Jehoiada in his life? The Lord kept the, the high priest alive a long time, but the day came where God called him home. So Joash lost him. He could have chosen to draw drawn closer to the Lord because of his loss. You know, as somebody said, when things happen to us in life, we can choose to get better or choose to get bitter. And all of us are going to have things happen to us in our life. That can't be avoided. Talk to us who've been around a while. We'll tell you, stuff's going to happen, right? But when things do happen, we have a choice to make. And the best choice is for us to draw closer to the Lord. You know, and honestly, when we're really hurting, that's about the easiest time to turn to the Lord. And I say that because the Lord tells us in his word that he is very close to the brokenhearted. So he is right there, you know? If you're hurting today, you can be assured the Lord is right there and you can turn to him at any moment. He's right there. He'll listen and he can comfort like no other. You know, so don't make the mistake that Joash did when he turned away from the Lord. Apparently this happened in his life and instead of drawing close to God and saying, Lord, I need you more now than ever, just like the song we were singing earlier. Instead of that, he's like, I gotta find somebody else to lean on. And he couldn't find good people, apparently. How sad. So instead, stuff happens to you, draw closer to the Lord than you have ever been before. That's the best thing you can do. Let's go on in our passage, verse three. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, this is one thing that Joash did not accomplish during his reign. Uh, this is talking about people sacrificing to the Lord, but they're doing it on the high places. They, they were doing that before the tabernacle was made. You know, but once the tabernacle was built and later on the temple, the Israelites were supposed to bring their sacrifices and their worship there before the Lord. They were supposed to stop doing these things on the high places. But some of the people like the convenience of worshiping and sacrificing on these high places. So essentially, they were okay with worshiping God as long as they could do it on their own terms, you know, as opposed to what God clearly commanded. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> a lot of people think the same way today, you know? Hey, I'm cool with being a man upstairs. We got it going. We're good, you know? Are you doing things his way? Well, no, I've kind of made him do it my way, but we're good. You know, it's like, you're wrong, buddy. <laughs> you don't tell God how to do things. He tells you how to do things, right? Now, verse 4 goes on. And Joash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated gifts are brought into the house of the Lord. Each man's census money, each man's assessment money, this is all in the law. And all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord. So he's saying those required offerings and those that a guy just wants to give a free will offering, they come in. So verse 5, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple where every, any dilapidation is found. 
So this is during the early part of his reign as king. He makes it a priority to get the temple of the Lord repaired. That's a good thing, right? It apparently had been, you know, neglected for some time, and it's in need of repair. They've been, a lot of them drawn over to Baal worship, so they probably didn't pay a lot of attention to keeping the temple up. It's interesting, too, that if anyone knew what repairs were needed, this guy, Joash, would probably be the one to talk to, because remember, he grew up in the temple the first six years of his life. He probably knew every nook and cranny of that place. You can imagine a little kid running around and having to be in hiding, but still, he's going to be all over the place. So that place mattered to him. That could have been part of his desire to really see the temple repairs done, too. Okay, not sure. But verse 6, it says, Now it was so... By the 23rd year of King Joash, he's been king for 23 years, that the priest had not repaired the damages of the temple. So a pretty good amount of time went by, and Joash could see that the repairs had never been made. So he's going to find out why these things weren't done. Verse 7, so King Joash called Jehoiada the priest, so lets us know Jehoiada's still there. This is the first part of his reign, good part. He calls him and the other priests, and he said to them, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither, neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Well, Joash, you know what's going on here? He had made a, a couple of mistakes here with this original plan for these repairs. And I kind of get this. I'm thinking he's a young guy. He's, you know, he started out as a seven-year-old. So you got to give him a little break here for some of the decisions he's probably making. But he decided they need to take this particular money, and he was very specific about what money to be used for repair and who was supposed to do the work, the priest. Well, first off, he had instructed the priest, I guess without realizing, to use the money that came into them to be used for the repairs. The problem was the Lord had already designated that money to be used to support the priests and their families. This is their livelihood, okay? So that would be like telling the mail carrier that delivers your mail that they've got to use their own paycheck to make all the expensive repairs in the post office building. That's obviously not going to go too well. So that was the first problem here. He, he made a mistake there. The next problem was assigning the priest the job to do and repairing it themselves. They already have a job. <laughs> They're busy keeping up with all the sacrifices that people make, as well as the morning and evening sacrifices that happen every day. So they didn't have the time to do all these extra, you know, construction jobs that he was trying to line up for them. So the good thing here is that Joash was smart enough to realize they had, he had made a mistake. And it wasn't the priests that were trying to be rebellious. That wasn't what was going on. He had basically just told them to do the impossible. <laughs> I want you to take your paycheck and put it in the building and you guys do all the work. I know you got a full-time job, but just get over there and do it anyway. And it wasn't going very far at all, right? So he doesn't get upset or violent with them. He doesn't go postal on them. <laughs> but he, he simply takes the job off of their plates. So he tells them not to take any more money from the people. And he's talking about for the repairs. Don't take it for that reason. And then just turn over any funds that you might have collected for the work, you know, whatever little bit they had left over after taking care of their families. And he tells them not to do any repairs himself in the temple. So I imagine these guys probably all sighed a big sigh of relief when he did that. I, I find it so interesting here. These guys didn't argue with him up front when he basically told them to do the wrong thing, you know. 
our, our American way would be, no way, man, <laughs> we'd have been in his face. But these guys just said, well, it's the king. You're not going to argue. If he tells us, we'll try. It didn't work. Okay, so then, again, wisely, he doesn't blow up on him. He just says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Now, look what happens. Apparently, this is the plan being set up here. Verse 9, then Jehoiada the priest took a chest. He bored a hole in its lid, and he set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the, and the high priest came up, they put it in bags, and they counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So they came up with this new idea of bringing in money for these repairs. These were basically free will offerings of the people, and they kind of set up an agape jar there. And the people just came in and gave their money. No pressure to it, just set it there. And to me, they kind of just trusted the Lord to bring the money in. And guess what? The money came in. <laughs> Verse 11. Then they gave the money, which had been apportioned, into the hands of those who did the work. It tells us who that is, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked in the house of the Lord, and to the masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. So the money was given to the supervisors, the contractors, and then they paid it out to the actual workers who did the physical repairs on the temple. Verse 13, however, they were not made for the house of the Lord, basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord, but they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. So they weren't using the money to make any new vessels or instruments to be used inside of the temple. It was only for, to, to be repaired on the physical things that needed done. And, you know, from the, the list of supplies and stuff it says here, it tells us they must have had quite a few repairs that were needed. <laughs> that thing must have really been in need of it. And that's, it's not just a joke here. So verse 15, moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to work, uh, workmen, for they, they dealt faithfully. Now, it's amazing to see how honestly the workmanship was done here. The workers got a fair wage, and in return, they gave a fair day of work. In our day, you know, we see much of the overcharging, some of the poor workmanship that's put out there, the extension of a job just to keep the pay coming in longer, even government waste on things, you know. It's shocking to see things actually work the way they should with honesty and integrity, you know. But I believe this shows the favor of the Lord that he was given to both sides as they were doing this work. They were doing it what we call the right way, you know. And it's amazing to see how that worked. Uh, verse 16. We used to see that when we were kids, right, Bob? Didn't we notice that as kids, work was done right, people were cared for, and it worked out pretty good. Yeah, it's not the same world, is it? Verse 16, the money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. Uh, that was brought into the house of the Lord. It, was, it belonged to the priests. So they're saying this money was not taken away from them and given to this repair work. It was actually given where God designed it to be given. It was given to the priest. So when things are returned to what the Lord originally tended, you know, I think it must have been a relief for the priest. You put yourself in them shoes. Guys that want to serve the Lord, 
but they probably felt guilty about taking their pay home, you know, because it must have been tough when they were saying, I want to, I got to take care of my family, but I know the king said we're supposed to use this for repairs. So that had to be tough. What well, you're probably torn with that going on, you know. So they were able to have peace now that I can take care of my family without sweating that I'm not using this for repairs. It's interesting. Things just work so much better when we do what the Lord tells us to do. <laughs> you wish we would get that. You know, we, we got to keep me reminded because we keep slipping back on that one. Verse 17, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And he, he uh, then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. So basically the king had done some grabbing of land and stuff up there in northern kingdom and thought, hey, it's worked really good. I guess we'll go to the southern kingdom. So verse 18, Joash, king of Judah, he took all the sacred things that his father Jehoshaphat and Joram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, that means dedicated to the Lord's temple, in his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and in the king's house, and he sent them to Haziel, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So the Lord lets us see now one of the decisions that Joash made in the second part of his reign after Jehoiada was gone. And we see that Joash here, he doesn't seek the Lord about this problem that he sees coming. Instead, he comes up with his own plan. He basically decides to rob the temple to pay off their enemies so they will not attack. And it looks like the plan worked, but what did it cost him? And what did it cost the whole Southern kingdom? I mean, they have a temple that's been repaired, but all of the valuable stuff on the inside is gone. So it's basically empty on the inside, you know? And I like what somebody said, instead of putting all this effort into repairing the outside of the temple, it would have been much wiser for Joash to put the time into building his own personal relationship with the Lord to be solid. Because one of the things that he really missed, and man, I hope we get this, was that by being God's people, he kind of automatically had the favor of the Lord on his side. We're going to see that in the next chapter with the northern kingdom, who was extremely wicked. And God still showed him tremendous grace when they cried out to him. Okay, so he apparently didn't get this or forgot it or was moved away from that, you know. And had he earnestly sought the Lord over this, well, who knows what would have happened because we don't have that story. And it's kind of like we've, we've been there, we said before, you know, we've seen this in Scripture. If we step out and we trust the Lord and we do things His way, even if we don't feel like it, and even if it doesn't make sense to us, you know, but we just step out in faith, then on the other side of that, we walk away with a testimony of what the Lord did. But if we fail to trust the Lord, we don't get the testimony, all right? So we don't know what would have happened because he didn't trust the Lord in this. I mean, what could Joyce have, what, what could he have said after all this? I mean, after what he did, his own plan. You know, <laughs> he could say, well, I'm glad they didn't attack us. That's it. You know, my plan worked. But someone, I was thinking, if they were brave enough to question a king, which is pretty tricky to do, but if they would come up to him and they would have said, well, I'm glad that they didn't attack us, you know, but where's all your valuable stuff from the temple? <laughs> it's gone. 
Yeah. No, that's not really a testimony for the Lord. When the Lord does stuff, when we trust him and he does these things, he leaves his fingerprints all over it. And he gets great glory out of it, right? So this is one huge lesson from the life of Joash. Spend your life building your relationship with the Lord on the inside and let the Lord give you testimonies as you trust in him and you do things his way. And that's, that's a good word, I think, from the Lord for us because it's New Year's. A lot of times people say, oh, it's time to get back to the gym. We got to fix up the outside, you know, do a little work on the heart too, but we got to fix up the outside. Well, man, take it from the Lord that he's saying, do not neglect the inside. That's the most important, right? Well, things are going to get worse for Joash, so we're going to pick that up next time because there's some stuff that we really need to dwell on when it comes to the next stuff he's getting himself into. So uh, hang in there with that, and we'll, Lord willing, get a chance to dig in there and see some more warnings from the Lord. You've noticed these are tough passages we've been going through because they're hard lessons, but we're, they're needed. The Lord has to walk us through these. It's kind of like sometimes when you're talking to your kids as they're growing up and having to tell them some of the hard facts of life, you know? I mean, stuff's going to happen, and here's how you deal with it. Sometimes you take a hit. Sometimes you're at the bottom. Sometimes, hopefully, you get a chance to climb up the hill and see it, but a lot of times you're going to be walking in the valley. So you need to know how to walk with the Lord, and the Lord showed us that here. Through difficult times, stick with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We we thank you for some of these difficult and hard lessons that you know we need to hear. Thank you for being a great father, that you set us down and you show us pictures of people that did not trust you. And, and yet you show us other people like this high priest, your highness, that man, he loved you, Lord. Give us that kind of zeal. Give us that kind of determination in our life that we're going to follow you no matter what. Even if no one else is coming, we're going to follow you, Lord. And let us be an encouragement to others with our life. Let us be that godly influence to other people. Father, thank you for the work you're doing in us and the work you're going to do in us and through us this new year if, if you give us the time to do that. So, Lord, we just give ourselves to you. We want to thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.